Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Anna. And I'm Daenerys. And today we're sitting down with Charles Yu. Charlie is the author of the novel Interior Chinatown, which won the National Book Award in 2020. He has also written three other novels, including How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which was a New York Times notable book. His other works have appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and Wired. He is also a television screenwriter and has previously worked on the HBO series Westworld. Thank you for joining us, Charlie. Thanks for having me. So some people might say that you took a less traditional path to Hollywood, and we were wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, your background and maybe any specific pivotal moments that made you decide to pursue writing. Sure, yeah. It was a, yeah, it's a bit of a <laughs> long and winding road. Um, you know, path only really, it, lo- it only looks like a path in retrospect. I think mm-hmm. at any moment, it was me kind of stumbling around trying to figure out <laughs> how am I going to, you know, get to the next place. And I often didn't even know what the next place was. I, I was a science major in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents really wanted me to be a doctor. And <laughs> I, I tried. I did not end up getting into any medical school. So then I applied to law school. And um, sometime in, I, I had liked writing since I was a kid. I did take some undergraduate poetry writing workshops. So, um, you know, I'd had some background in writing, but I didn't really start writing fiction until I graduated from law school. So at the same time I started practicing, I started to write short stories. And that was in 2001. Uh, And, you know, I started to publish stories and then eventually books and through a kind of some good luck and some slow moving processes, I ended up working for TV and film a few years ago. So that's kind of the summary, you know, of of like how I ended up doing this. But uh, again, there were some some like moments of like serendipity and just, uh, uh, yeah, that, that led me to a path I could not have planned, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really surprising, to me at least, that you began writing fiction while you were practicing law. I think most people would say, oh, you know, I'm I'm a very busy lawyer. I might not have a lot of time. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear about how you made or found time to keep reading and writing while you were also, you know, being this high-powered lawyer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely worked for a high-powered firm. I never felt like a high-powered lawyer. <laughs> you know, that was part of it. Uh, I just had this total imposter syndrome when I walked into the offices. You know, I just felt like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm at that point like 25 and fresh out of school. And I just thought, how am I going to get how am I going to make it here? You know, mm-hmm. it just felt like a, a really high pressure environment. And um, so I, I feel like part of it was my subconscious or my conscious wanting to have like carve out a little space for myself, you know, and a little bit of time. So I would sort of, you know, there's a lot of waiting around, you know, when you're a, a, like a baby lawyer, there's a lot of late nights, but time where you can, you know, you're sort of sitting waiting for your boss to give you the next version of the document to go make changes to. Anyway, so I, I found myself sort of having just loose thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, what, what am I going to do with all this? So I'd, I'd scribble, scribble them down or send an email to myself. And and so back then, you know, 
I could stay up later. I didn't have kids. And I would just write really late at night. Even if I got off like 10, 11 p.m., I could still like write for an hour or two. And then weekends, I'd spend an afternoon here or there writing. And so I, I found the time. That's one of the things that I really love about writing is you can do it anywhere and uh, you can do it on your own time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in an interview with Columbia, I saw that you referred to yourself as a freelance protagonist <laughs> yeah. in talking about kind of the way that you thought about um, writing and, and your journey from law school to Hollywood. I was wondering if you could elaborate on what that means and how it's shaped um, your career. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I had a, I have a friend of mine from the first law firm I worked at named uh, Mark Forrester, and I once he told me, uh, to be a protagonist. I can't remember the context or why he would say it wasn't like he was dispensing wisdom. <laughs> it might have just been a joke, but I, I just took it to heart. I thought, oh, you know, like I think at that point I was still pretty fresh out of law school and I felt like I was on the sidelines a lot. I just was um, afraid of trying things, afraid of failing. And and so that, that just kind of stuck with me. And then when I was writing uh, what turned out to be my second book, um, there's a character who is kind of time traveling and he's sort of lost in time. And um, I, I kind of played around with this idea of somebody, I, I, anyway, the character inhabits this weird universe where um, everybody's sort of been dumped out of their sci-fi story and they have to find a new story. And so that there are people who are wandering around kind of saying, hey, I'm a freelance protagonist, hire me for your story. So, you know, I've, I've sort of liked the idea and in a way it has stuck with me as a, I guess a little bit of a, a way to think about my own life, you know, not trying not to get, you know, a lot of times I think there, I get, I get trapped into an assumption or trapped into a feeling of like, I have to do this forever or there's only one way to, support myself and the family or there's and there's a kind of like looseness or freedom that um to this idea of a freelance protagonist that at any moment you could make a different choice or Mm -hmm. you know do something unexpected so yeah um thank you for bringing up your novel i think that one's called how to live safely in a science fictional universe exactly um and so i actually wanted to ask you about a little bit about science fiction and the way that race plays into it. I actually recently watched Dune, which um, if the, the listeners don't know, that is a very, very popular science fiction novel that just got adapted. Timothy Chalamet is in it, along with Zendaya. Um, and so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how imaginative genres, you know, like science fiction and fantasy, how race really plays into those kinds of genres. Yeah, that's, um, for me, um... You know, one of the first stories I ever wrote ended up being title of uh, my first story collection. It's called Third Class Superhero, and it's about a guy who is a third class superhero. <laughs> um, you know, he's sort of on the fringes of the superhero hierarchy, and he he really has like a really sad power. It's not useful for anything. <laughs> and um, the race doesn't explicitly play into that story at all. Um, but I think from early on, uh, looking back, and even when I was writing it, I think early on I was interested in writing about marginal characters, the people who 
aren't the heroes of the story. So I think for me, heroes or big sci-fi kind of universes are a really well-known um, form or a really well-known kind of myth we have. This is a kind of con contemporary mythology. And using that, I, I, to me, what I've, I've always been interested in was leveraging those people's familiarity with those universes and saying, let's, let's look at the fringes or the edges of these places. And so I get to use, you know, the fun of, of like someone else's kind of genre creation and, and write my own characters into them, if that makes sense. And so yeah. I think, you know, with How to Live Safely, it was another progression where the family there is clearly, um, they're, they're immigrants, um, but they're immigrants from like a different universe. And so, again, I was sort of tiptoeing up to the idea um, that there's an explicit connection between race or ethnicity here and and these characters' role. And then with Interior Chinatown, it was basically the first time I had very directly tried to link the two and said, oh, it, it finally was like the Venn diagram of all of my interests. And, and I found it in this character, Willis Wu, who is literally a background Asian. That's his title. You know, that's his job description. Mm -hmm. Yeah, turning a little bit to Interior Chinatown, um, could you talk a little bit more about the inspiration and maybe what made this feel like the right time to work on and publish the book? Yeah. Um, the inspiration was really, um, you know, my parents are immigrants from Taiwan and they had, you know, I, I guess growing up, I had absorbed, you know, a lot of their experiences, their feelings, their dreams and disappointments. And um, they'd told me stories, I'd observed things. I sort of didn't know what to do with all of it. I just knew I had this kind of, you know, mass of things, you know, bits that, and and I, and so I, I spent a lot of time trying to find the right form to, to put those in, to like, I didn't know what, what it would be and, um, I guess, I mean, I, I started working on the book a long time ago. You know, I'd say 2012 was the first year I really was working on this book in earnest. And um, it changed so much. I, I, I tried and failed with different forms. Um, and somewhere in there, um, it, well, two things happened. I, one, I, I started working in television. And I think that that form, um, it took a while, but I kind of, through osmosis, was like, oh, this would be interesting but I, again I think that's all happening on kind of a subconscious level um, the other thing that happened was the you know 2016 presidential election I think honestly um, in early 2017 it sort of created a new I guess urgency in me to to be more direct and want to tell the story of these these immigrants um, in a way you know I don't know exactly what it did but it, it sort of lit a fire so I was working on the book the what ends up being the final form of the book in 2017 through 2019 basically and so it was a uh you know it was a tumultuous time to be working on it i'd say politically and socially mm -hmm. yeah i think that last year 2020 was also just a really um important moment for asian americans too and i think that's when the book came out right um so it was really fascinating that there's kind of this duality between you know, this increase in anti-Asian hate and violence, but at the same time you get like 
this more mainstream representation, I think. So I think I'm thinking about Shang-Chi right now, which came out pretty recently. Um, and do you think that Shang-Chi has opened up representation for Asian Americans? And specifically, I'm really interested by how you think Shang-Chi interacts with that stereotype of, of kung fu guy, which I think your main character is very much idolizing in the book. Yeah, it's such a, I know, it's such a weird confluence of reality and uh, because Shang-Chi is like the, the phenomenon as a character has been, I guess, a very long-running Marvel hero that I, I'm not very conversant with like the history, but I know it had, you know, was a product of its time, was probably like, steeped in a lot of stereotypes and probably a lot of racist ideas and yet um the I, it feels like this new movie is an attempt to reboot kind of the character and then for for times and 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 be much more i think culturally sensitive and yet i think um there's there's an argument to be made that well is this still is this in a way um another example maybe a huge successful example in a somewhat relatively like sensitive and thoughtful example of like kung fu guy but is it just still kung fu guy mm -hmm. you know um and to which i i say i don't know and also kind of yes you know like it's it's a it's a it's a superhero story so on some level i'm not going to that for you know um i'm going to that for fun and for action and entertainment so it's exciting and and it and for shang chi to do well I think the argument can be made, I, I would make it, that it probably opens more doors for other storytellers, other stories, you know, other points of view. So, uh, you know, on a net basis, you know, d does it open possibilities? I feel like it does. But but there is, yeah, there is some, I don't know if I'd say ambivalence, but there's this, I, there to me, there's uh, some tension between of like how to feel about that. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, is this just another example of, oh yeah, an Asian story can do well, but it, it's gotta have martial arts. It's gotta have certain kinds of roles for, you know, for the leads. Um, I don't know. I think also Simu Liu's, you know, his actual personal arc is really interesting because he was literally, he wasn't background Asian guy, but he was like a stunt man. Mm -hmm. And then he became Kung Fu guy, literally. So mm -hmm. it's, that's just really, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. Someone should like, write a dissertation on that or something <laughs> yeah and i'm wondering do you do you feel pressure to or expectations to write literature providing more accurate asian american representation um i have a friend whose dad was so excited that you were coming to speak at the ath so i asked him what he wanted to ask you um and his question was really do you wish that you could just write a book about asian americans living life as opposed to like do you feel pressure to write something that um presses back on stereotypes hmm. that's a great question I, it's also anna when you said you have a friend whose dad i was thinking okay so it's sort of older and i'm like oh and your friend's dad is probably my age <laughs> like, oh my god what, no what's wrong with me? um it, it uh Yes, I think the short answer it's it's this you know, uh, and I think it's definitely possible. I, you know, it, with this book in particular, I happen to take on a lot of subjects that I hadn't tried before and in a more explicit way. But absolutely, I, I, 
and, and there are plenty of examples, but I, I personally also hope that I, I'm going to be writing things that aren't always about this or just about include Asian American characters or characters of Asian descent in, in ways that don't have to also have sort of explicit stories about their cultural heritage or about their place and, or about marginalization or discrimination. So, yeah. Right. And I think that it's very clear, as you said earlier, that there's a lot of really personal feelings um, and experiences that kind of went into interior Chinatown. Um, and so I want to know how much you feel like you pulled from that personal experience to, to write and to put into interior Chinatown. Hmm. What was that process like for you? Yeah, it's, um, it's always like, uh, a, a bit of a anxiety filled thing because the stuff that comes from real life has the most, you know, vitality or energy or something to it. It's, it's the real stuff that I'm mining for material, you know, mm -hmm. like a fiction writer does, I think. Um, and, and then also there's the tension of these are real people a lot often, you know, in my life <laughs> so are they going to think this is them or you know just is it responsible and also there's a creative sense of like well if i'm just telling someone else's story am i the one to tell it or that's just biography right so that's usually dissipates somewhat because in the course of writing it the initial kernel changes so much you know it gets wrapped in so much fictionalization and it just changes right the, the characters evolve the things change and so what what initially might have been somewhat based on say my parents ends up being like some of this went got taken out other things got completely fictionalized some people um you know it just doesn't map onto reality in a clean way anymore but yeah i mean then there's the next phase of the book comes out and someone in my life reads it and they're like oh is that me <laughs> or you know like <laughs> Hey, I remember, when, you know, like, so, um, so yeah, I guess the process is like fraught, but there's, for me, there's no really other way to do it. I often find that I have to start with something that feels personal, not necessarily autobiographical or taking something really like biographical, but emotionally and psychologically, it often just comes from something that is probably pretty much real, you know, so yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, to your earlier point about um, just managing different types of work and, and writing while doing other things, you now write in a number of different forms, both for Westworld and, and writing um, your novels. So I'm wondering how you think about your different creative pursuits and if it's ever taxing to be kind of switching between different creative things and maybe even feeling if you ever feel pressure to be um producing so many different types of creative works um it is taxing i do feel pressure um i don't know if that's always um the best you know i think it's a weird thing that happens where you start out and nobody wants to read anything or you just you're writing for yourself or you're writing for maybe family members who might read it or something and then in you know if you get lucky enough as I have you know on a couple occasions there's a little bit of a wider audience and now branching out into tv and film 
potentially even bigger audience. And, and yet the ultimate, like the, the initial impulse is still the most important, which is like, I'm writing something that because it's either coming from my heart or somewhere inside my spirit and I want it to reach someone else in the same place. And, um, so I have to remind myself of that because yeah, it, it gets, it, especially I think with this TV and film stuff, the pressure can feel like, I also, I would say also with books too, it feels like, okay, I finished that. I was actually talking with professor Chloe Martinez about this, just on the walk over th this idea of like, you finish a book, you're supposed to start again, you know, you're supposed to just create. And, and um, she was just making a really good case of like, it, you know, that's an assumption, but why does it have to feel that way? Like this isn't, we're not making widgets, you know, or my, you know, microchips that people <laughs> need to do their lives or whatever. So um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I actually answered your question, but I, I think uh, one, I have to feel really fortunate, like grateful for the chance to tell these stories and yet somehow not feel like, um, and so to do the best with whatever opportunities I have, but not feel like it's a production line, you know, where I'm just like pumping out things. So. Yeah, I think that really touches on this idea of, you know, an audience that's consuming your work. Yeah. And so what I what I'm wondering about is who do you think about who do you think is your intended audience, maybe for interior Chinatown or maybe for something else, but when people who are outside that audience look at this work, maybe this novel that's very specifically about a certain kind of experience. How have they responded to your work? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, something that I like feel lucky enough to think about because honestly, many years, many things, that most things I've written, the audience is, I'm, you know, quite small. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's only like a recent problem, especially, especially with this last book. Um, but I mean, I guess flipping it, going back to the time of creation, like as I'm writing it, I mean, on, on one level, I think it, it starts with one other person. You know, it starts with, I want to tell a story because I can hear this voice. I'm inside this guy's consciousness. It's interesting to me. I feel like if I can reach a reader, there will be some readers who can maybe identify with Willis or with his parents or with other characters. And some who may say, I have no... I can't identify with this, but this is interesting to me. This gives me access to a kind of something that I didn't have access to before. So I th honestly, I, th I thought about both of those people. I, I think, you know, that's, that's who I'm thinking about is, um, you know, fiction for me is that a bit of a Venn diagram of like things that I recognize and things that are strange. And so um, I have, you know, like in talking with people who have read the book, I'm always really, really touched when someone says, this really reminds me of my grandma or my relationship with my dad is like this, or I totally got what you're doing, you know, like in this part. And then there's other people saying, this totally opened my eyes. I'd never really thought about this before, you know, like, and so, um, I don't know, that's, that's not really an answer, but I, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think being in 
academia still or like in the, the college environment, I think a lot about canons. Mm. And while reading works like yours, there's there's always a voice in the back of my head that's like, why can't these types of books be a, be a part of a new canon or recreate the traditional canons with um, that are just more heavily white and male and um, antiquated in some ways. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could design your own artistic canon, what might it include? Ooh, <laughs> uh, wow, that's a that's a really interesting. Um, I would have a very probably narrow and weird canon. <laughs> like, um, I don't know what it would include. I mean, let's, um, wow, that's good. <laughs> you stumped me. Um, I mean, I think, I think for instance, like, um, Oh, I'm totally blanking. This is a, this is a really hard question. This I told you there was going to be hard question. questions. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, I think starting from, you know, one of the things you talked about is I, I was really excited to read people like in college or after where I thought this is fiction that's talking to me, you know, like, um, this is a weird example because I, I feel like she already is part of a, can a new canon, but like, I think Zadie Smith is coming to campus soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she's probably, that's like, that's a terrible example because I think she is the canon already. Yeah. But um, if I had read, say, her work earlier, like, you know, um, that might have, I don't know. I mean, it's it just, you're right. In high school, all the way up to undergrad, I'm reading books by dead people, you know? Yeah. And, and dead men mostly and mostly dead white men and so yeah. um that just gives me a certain idea so i don't know um my canon might also have weird things like um you know video games and tv and films in them too uh so um i'm probably the wrong person to design a canon no you're the perfect yeah. person um Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Charlie, for joining us. And to all of our listeners, remember to stay hungry.